Thank you, Russ. And good morning again. I want to issue a special word of welcome to all the children with us today. Uh, kids are with us in the service this summer instead of being in children's church, and we're excited about that. So, of course, all the little noises and things uh, don't bother us, and we're glad to have you here. And uh, we're mindful of you as we uh, plan these services and as we learn to worship Christ and the impact that you have on us. So, all right. Well, speaking of children, uh, we had the opportunity to take ours to the JFK Sixth Floor Museum this past week uh, for our son's birthday. And the reason we did that on his birthday is because he's a presidential scholar of sorts. He loves presidential history. Uh, he studied all the different things, and he realized he had a connection with JFK because they share the same birthday. And so it was a lot of fun to kind of make those connections. Um, now, of course, the story of JFK is a very troubled story. There's a lot of dark elements to the whole thing. And so one of the images that struck me uh, as we were walking through the hour-and-a-half guided tour of the, of the museum where you have on these headphones that tell you, you know, about each exhibit and the things that were going on in our culture in the 60s and all that stuff, I watched our five-year-old daughter locked in with headphones, listening to all these things, and I thought to myself, well, good job, parents, shielding your kids from all the drama of the 1960s, you know. <laughs> but, but, but we, you know, we sometimes wake up and realize that we watch our kids and we watch ourselves standing in the middle of a broken world, and we go, oh, no, they're going to see it, too. You know, we were shielded from it for a while, thanks be to God, some of us longer than others, uh, and one and one day, over the course of time, of course, our eyes are open and we realize that the world is a pretty rough place. And so I was asking myself, as I read this text, and thinking about a five-year-old staring into the face of all that the world has to offer, what is God's response to such an intense level of human brokenness? such an intense level of human suffering. Where is God in all of this? And as I read this passage and studied for this sermon, I realized that one of the responses of God to things like this, maybe the greatest response of God to things like this, is simply the cross. It's the foundational sort of symbol of our Christian faith. But we look at it and we don't always think about Christ present with us in our sufferings. And so looking at the cross, looking at Jesus' last words, right? These are the last things that Jesus says as he's, he's, he was crucified. On the third day, he's resurrected. And now over these last 40 days, he's been making appearances, meeting with his disciples, doing a lot of things, you know, getting them back on track, meeting with Peter and saying, hey, Peter, I know you denied me three times, but it's time to get back on track, right? It's time to run the race. You're the guy. Remember, I said that you know, the church that will be built on you, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's time to get up off the mat and get back in action. And he's making appearances to his disciples. He's eating breakfast with them. He's eating meals with them. And he's sharing time with them. He's reassuring them. He, he appears to them and he says things like, peace, be with you. And he's communicating that God is still with them, even though they're afraid. Because what's happening in the story of Luke You'll remember that Luke not only is responsible for the gospel of Luke, the book of Luke as we know it, but he's also responsible for writing uh, sort of the second half of his story, which is the book of Acts. So we're shifting, where it's this transitional period from the story of Jesus to the story of the early church. 
or the story of Jesus to the story of the witnesses. And that's the story that we're living in today. So we're watching this transition happen and the last words of Jesus in the midst of this transition. So we turn our attention to the passage that uh, Russ read for us. And, you know, just a side note about reading scripture, all scripture, Jesus gives us a great interpretive lesson here when he says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Well, nowhere in the Psalms does it say the name Jesus. But Jesus is telling us that we should read the Psalms, we should read the prophets, we should read the law with Jesus in mind. Because Christ was always the intent, right? This was always the intent of God. And so God's message to his people through the law and then through the prophets and the way that we sing in the Psalms, it all has its culmination in Jesus Christ. So we sort of read Jesus, we read backwards into the story now that we know how it ends. What was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Another word about reading scripture, that it takes the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to illumine our minds to understand scripture in the first place. No one is purely smart enough or has the right degrees to understand the core message of scripture. Scripture and its core messages are given to us by the power of God. As God opens our minds to understand not only what the scriptures are about, but how they impact our lives and the lives of those around us. It makes a prayer like the lady prayer that Russ prayed perfect. God, open our minds, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. And every time we open the scriptures. And one of the things that Jesus focuses on in this little short summary of the last things that he's saying is something worded like this. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that he says that must be preached to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses. Y'all are witnesses to these things. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Y'all are witnesses of these things. And we know from experience and we know from the story that in order to be witnesses or to be preachers about something like this, we first have to be participants. We can't be preachers and witnesses of the forgiveness of Jesus if we're not participants in the forgiveness of Jesus. So this becomes, I think, much of our work as we imagine Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father and as we take up our work as witnesses in this world that has everything to do with being participants in the story, participants in forgiveness. Now, the subject of forgiveness reminds us of the beginning of Luke's gospel. You remember when Jesus started his ministry in Luke chapter 4, and he walks into the temple, and he walks up there, and he opens the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah, and what does he say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight of the blind, all this stuff. And he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, or freedom to the captives. It's the exact same word that Luke uses at the end to say that Jesus is saying the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness and liberty are the same thing in this story that Luke tells. 
Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. So Jesus preaches the story of forgiveness with his words. And he also preaches the story of forgiveness with his life. Think about all the things that Jesus does throughout the course of his ministry and how it drives so many other people crazy that he's eating and drinking with the wrong people. He's at parties with the wrong people. And he says, hey, it's not the people that are well that need a doctor, but it's the sick. It's the people that need to be reminded that forgiveness is a real thing and it can change your life. It can shatter the earth. It is so powerful. And so we're reminded that forgiveness in this sense is an announcement. It's just a, it's just saying something that's already true. Y'all and I, we are already forgiven. Christ has already achieved forgiveness for us. And our job is to remind each other of that reality. You've already been forgiven. I've already been forgiven. So our work becomes, and why we miss out on this so much, is we don't take the next step of entering that forgiveness, of believing that forgiveness, of accepting that forgiveness, and then allowing our lives to be shaped by the forgiveness that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. So what must we do to get in on this reality that's already accomplished? You know, that's the great news. Preaching the gospel is so simple. It's just telling people that they're forgiven. I mean, you can tell anybody, anywhere, anytime, hey, you're forgiven. It'll be very disarming because I'll go, wait a minute, what? But I haven't been sitting with my priest and confessing or whatever. It doesn't matter. You're forgiven. You're always forgiven. Forgiveness is always out there. But to go through the process of getting in on forgiveness, we do have to take those steps. And it is important to confess our sins to one another. Not because God needs to hear it, but because we need to hear it. Forgiveness is so hard to receive from God, and it's so hard to receive from another person. It's so hard to receive to forgive ourselves. And so we've got to have other people saying those words. That's why we do that when we take communion. That you are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. And y'all say it back to me. You are forgiven. It's, it's the best words that we hear in the course of a week. Reminding us that in the midst of a broken world, there is hope. That with all of the chaos and all of the destruction that we see around us, I just wonder if more people knew that news. If more people heard and were reminded that forgiveness is a real possibility, if we would see these same kinds of things. I think that sometimes we just don't take Jesus up on the promise of forgiveness. We don't sort of test out the waters. You know, we kind of say, yeah, I I know that stuff, but I, I don't know if it can really get to the core of the stuff that bothers me. You know, the stuff that keeps me up at night, whether it's receiving forgiveness from God for myself, or whether it's working through the hard process of forgiving someone else. But this should identify us as God's people. It's like a great music fan is going to know who Beethoven is. They're going to know who Miles Davis is. They're going to know some of the modern artists. They're going to be able to tell you how music works and why we love it and why it has different movements and why why we like it. If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you're going to be able to tell us who Bob Lilly is, who Tony Dorsett is. You're just going to know these things, right? And you explain to the rest of us, well, well, let me tell you why Tony Dorsett's so important. Let me tell you why Bob Lilly's so important. We're going to just know these things. And Christians, in the same sense, should be well-versed in forgiveness. We should be people that know this like the back of our hand. It should come out of our mouths and our lives with a fierce purpose. 
Not because we live in a world that's hunky-dory, but because we live in a world that's rough. Right? Forgiveness and living as people who are about forgiveness does not mean that we're all doormats. It means that we are taking on the same kind of strength that Jesus had. Remember, Jesus was not a victim on the cross. Jesus went to the cross in his own strength. And we go to the place of forgiveness in our own strength. We are not victims. We are not doormats. We are people of strength, offering the power of God to people through the message of forgiveness. We're not saying, hey, it's all good. Don't worry about it. We're saying it's all pretty rough. But there is an answer. It's not it's all good, but it's because of the bad that we see around us. Welcome this good news announcement. Right? Welcome this forgiveness. Allow your life to be transformed by this reality. Allow our lives to be shaped in this way. And that's really what repentance is all about. That's why Jesus says it's the message is it's preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because, again, forgiveness is already out there. But without repentance, we miss it. We lose out. And so repentance in this sense is kind of, it's, it's two-part. Of course, you have to believe that it's a real thing, that it's out there, that you can receive it. But repentance, especially in Luke's gospel, has everything to do with a realignment of our lives or an alignment of our lives. If it's never been aligned that way, but for a lot of us, it's just a weekly reminder. It's a daily reminder. It's a realignment of my life and our lives around the cross and this message of forgiveness. It's a transformation of our dispositions and behaviors. It doesn't just make us feel a certain way and, and acknowledge that we're forgiven, but it actually changes who we are. It's a, that's the, the Greek word for repentance, metanoia. It's a metamorphosis. It's a complete change of our habits, our dispositions, our behaviors. We should be different people this time next year than we are today. Allowing the truth of forgiveness to shape how and who we are in the world. Now, I know someday I'll come up with a better example, but anytime I think of the word disposition and habits and behaviors, I always think of animals. I think namely of horses because that's what I grew up around. And so some of you have different ways you can see it. If you're coaches and teachers, you can, you can recognize that. Dispositions and habits. You watch one person who had a certain disposition in a certain sport or in the classroom, and you watch as they're completely changed to have another disposition by the time you're finished with them. Uh, that's what the weight room is for. That's what running lines is for. That's what drills are for. That's why we do drills in basketball, to teach our bodies so we don't have to think about it. That when we see a ball side screen, we know whether we go behind the screen or over the screen. We just know that intuitively because we practice it so much. Um, but I was around horses again this last week, and I went to help my little brother uh, brand his calves. And uh, it was a story of two horses for me. So we had a lot of calves to drag, and we didn't have a lot of guys, so I was... Uh, roping a couple of different times. At one time, I borrowed a certain horse because I didn't have a horse up there. And he was not a horse with a great disposition. Uh, and, and I borrowed another one later when he got tired. And he was a horse with a great disposition. And all that meant for me when I'm old and out of shape and out of practice is that one experience was pleasant and safe. The other experience was unpleasant and very unsafe. So I have some scars to prove that, and uh, anyway, it was just funny, but it's, you know, horses are that way with dispositions. Often when they're young, they're scared of everything, so the branding pen is very scary. There's the loud noise of the branding pot. There's people running around with shots and knives and all the stuff, and there's a rope, 
that's tapping them on the rear every with every stride, and they're not used to that. So you have to let them, you know, but over time, their disposition changes, and they become gentle to those things. It's a complete transformation. You don't feel safe, and then later on, you feel safe. It's a complete change. And if you're like me, you say, okay, Ryan, that's great. Forgiveness, and we should be a people of forgiveness and all that stuff, but how do we really do that? I mean, that's a tall, tall order. The whole project of forgiveness is just, can be so discouraging. It's like trying to train for a marathon. You go, and it sounds fun, but not at all. I don't, I don't think I could get there. I don't know how we would do that. And so the good news continues in this story. And the passage that was read for us is Jesus tells them what's going to happen. And then he leads them outside of town, right? He leads them to Bethany. And he lifts his hands up and he blesses them. It's this beautiful scene where Jesus is blessing the people that he loves and he spent all his time with and he's sending them out. And then he parted with them and he was carried up into heaven. He's gone. And they worshiped him. And they went back to Jerusalem and they had all this joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. So the book of Luke begins in the temple. It ends in the temple. People are praising this God who has come near in Jesus Christ. And it's just a fascinating story. But we refer to this disappearance of Jesus in, in Bethany at this point with his disciples as the ascension of Jesus Christ, to ascend. We'll say it in just a moment when we say the Apostles' Creed, that we believe that Christ ascended, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from that place, he will come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. That's what the ascension is all about. So I think in a way that when we ask the question, you know, that's great and we want to do that, but how do we do it? The ascension is the answer to the how. How it happens is the ascension, specifically that we need power. We need strength to carry this out. And we receive that power not from our own will and volition, but we receive that power from Jesus. And Jesus is uniquely placed now at the right hand of the Father where he can send, as he says, power from on high. This comes in the person of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about next week. But with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, we have the power that we need to live the life that we're called to live. Jesus at the right hand of the Father makes this transition from the story of Jesus to the story of witnesses. The ascension makes that possible. Without the ascension, you and I can't pray the way that we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We can't pray to the Father through the Son if Jesus is not ascended to the right hand of God. Now, you don't have to picture Jesus, you know, like hanging out in a lawn chair uh, and with the Trinity, just sort of sitting by God and just sitting around. Uh, but it's an imagery for what? For a king. This is a coronation. This is saying Jesus is now ascended to his proper place as the ruler of all things, all nations, the whole cosmos. The last time that they were all in Bethany, remember, it was before, it was the Palm Sunday, right? They're, they're leaving Bethany to come into the city. And what are they doing? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the king. And so this is like the culmination of that story. The king is finally on his rightful throne. We thought the king was dead. Because he was killed on a cross. 
But he was raised from the dead three days later. And now the story continues with this interlude where forgiveness and prayer as we know it are possible because Jesus sits at the right hand of God. There is power available to us. And it's that power that we find when we take Jesus up on the promise that forgiveness is life-changing and it's real and it's earth-shattering. And I think if we're not attempting this grand project of forgiveness, if we're not depending on the power of the ascension of Jesus, then we're not really being the witnesses that Christ has called us to be. So whether we're going to work church camp this week, whether we just work the Young Men's Summit, or whether we just beat up on the older guys at the Young Men's Summit because we're seniors in high school or whatever, uh, wherever we go as witnesses, if we're going to hospital rooms and chemotherapy stations this week, Wherever we go, we are witnesses, and we are dependent on the power that comes from the right hand of God as Jesus has ascended to his proper place on the throne. So I invite you this morning to be forgiven, to receive forgiveness, and to let that forgiveness transform your life and my life. Confess to another person so that you can hear it really well, that God is well pleased with you and waits ready to forgive you and has already accomplished your forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. Try it out. Welcome this power in your life and be changed for the glory of God, for the glory of humanity, for the glory of all the rest of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.